Hello, welcome to Hearsay at number 21. My guest today is Tim Nelson from the band Cub Sport. Uh, we were both at the end of a little bit of a cold and flu sicky, uh, so energy is slightly varying throughout the podcast, but it was super nice getting to chat to him about everything from his songwriting process to coming out. Um, uh, we also talked about dogs, which I'm hoping will become a bit of a regular thing on my podcast for my dog-owning guests, of course. Uh, his strange show experience is illustrated by Tim's partner, or fiancé, I should say, Sam Netterfield. You can see more of his stuff, including tattoos and drawings at Bolan Inc. So it's uh, B-O-L-A-N-I-N-K on Instagram. Remember, you can see all of the accompanying illustrations on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Have a great week. Hearsay number 21, the lovely Tim Nelson. How's it going? I'm very well, thank you. Are you really very well? No, I'm a I'm on the tail end of a sickness. <laughs> Me but too. Feeling well compared to how I have been feeling. Yeah, we've had to postpone this a couple of times. Story of my life. But we made it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, thanks so much for being on my little podcast. It's a pleasure. And thanks for introducing me to your lovely dogs. I love introducing people <laughs> to Missy and Evie. Are they like Insta famous? Um, not really. Um, they. I feel like they've got. They've helped us boost our profile. But they. <laughs> I haven't actually made them their own one. <laughs> so what are they on your Instagram, or was it like mostly Snapchat or something? Um. Yeah, a bit of both. We, How can we find them? Um, just search for Cub Sport and they'll be littered throughout our social media. <laughs> Great. Yeah, we had someone, um, tell us that they only realized that we were a band after they'd been following us for like a couple of months cause they thought we were just dog owners. <laughs> and then, um, and then when we were like shooting a music video, they're like, oh wait, what? And realized that we were a band. So <laughs> they've really helped us progress. <laughs> Um, I, I sort of like to get a, a bit of a snapshot of how you started playing music and, and what's the first kind of music that you're into. Can you tell me a little bit about why you started wanting to play music? Um, I first wanted to play music because um, mum was playing the piano and I, like, I loved that. And so, yeah, I started getting piano lessons when I was six and then I just never stopped, I guess. Um, yeah, I had a really great piano teacher who, like, I know, she had a real love for music and it, the lessons weren't, like, strict or boring kind of thing. Like, I got to play the stuff that I wanted to play. Like, I always got to choose my own pieces oh, and that cool. sort of thing. And what, what were you choosing? Um, I can't really remember. I... It was sort of a mixture of like some jazz and some classical and then um, like pop songs and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, she would sort of play a few different options to me, like the ones that I would have to choose from for my exams. And Did you do exams up to... Yeah, level? I did um, up to grade seven. Oh, and then wow. my piano teacher retired and I went to another piano teacher <clears throat> and she was like kind of awful she, oh, no. she's like told me that my other teacher had taught me like terrible technique and all this stuff oh, no. and so I was like upset by that and then stopped getting lessons fair enough yeah that sucks I, I feel like there's no wrong way to play if you enjoy playing yeah and like I, I was doing well in my exams so I, I like she must have been doing all right <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So And so what kind of music were you listening to back then? Um, I listened to a lot of pop music. Um, yeah. The first CD I ever bought was Aqua, Dr. Jones. <laughs> and right. I was like, I got so obsessed with Aqua. And I, yeah, I remember like back then when people asked me what I wanted to do with my life, I... I said I wanted to be in a band like Aqua. Great. I feel like Cub Sport is like, <laughs> like kind of, like not quite Aqua, but I feel like there's a little bit of overlap. <laughs> Did you want to be the, come on Barbie, let's go party guy? Um, I think I wanted to be Lenny or oh, Le- Lena, the, oh, the yeah. girl. <laughs> She's incredible. It's pretty. What happened to her? Did they toured recently? Didn't they? Yeah, I think they were here in 2015. They Did played you go? out of the until yeah, I went, <laughs> and um, they were amazing. Like they, I was worried that it would be like singing, like kind of miming to tracks and that sort of thing. Yeah. But they had like a full, like they were playing their instruments. Oh and really? All the vocals were like live and like amazing. Wow. It was yeah, far better than I was expecting. That is amazing because you kind of think all those 90s bands would just be pressing space bar at this point. Yeah. And um, singing along to their own voice. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, it was awesome. And um, Lena, is that, I think that's her name. She's like so fit. I don't know how old she is now, but she looks like better than she did in the 90s. Wow. Yeah. She must be in her 40s at least. Yeah. Maybe not at least. She's probably in her 40s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So you wanted to play in a band like Aqua. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but you were like getting like classically trained in piano. Yeah. Well, kind of a mixture. And um, my piano teacher ran like monthly composition competitions. Oh. Um, and so I was always like writing my own little piano pieces and that sort of thing. And I do well in her competitions and get stickers and stuff. Oh. So that kind of... I guess that was when I started, like, making my own music, just, like, yeah, playing little piano pieces yeah. when I was a kid. And were you singing along to your piano pieces? Uh, no, I I only started singing when I was, like, 14 or something. Okay. I, um, well, like, I used to, I used to sing, but <clears throat> I only sang in front of people for the first time when I was 14 and realised that, like, not everyone can, like, sing in key and that yeah. sort of thing. Because it was just something, yeah, I don't know. I think it's hard to sort of imagine that not everyone can just do what you can do. You just yeah. say, it's easy. You just sing along to the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and did you ever worry about that, like, I guess if you started singing like you sing now at 14, did you ever worry that going through puberty would lower your voice? Because <clears throat> you have, like, such a beautiful, clear, sing-like-an-angel kind of vibe. 
Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I, I hadn't really thought about it that much because when I, when I started singing, um, yeah, like I, I was very far. Well, I was at least a couple of years off hitting puberty. So I was a boy soprano in like year 10 and 11. Yeah. Um, and then in year 11, my voice like started to change. Um, and it was, it was weird because I, I guess like I hadn't had singing lessons and I was used to being like a boy soprano. And then all of a sudden my, like my chest voice or whatever, like my range was like going down a little bit. And yeah. I was doing a lot of performing in vocal ensembles and okay. that sort of thing. Um, but it was a relatively smooth transition from soprano to tenor. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I think there were a lot of people like in the vocal ensemble that were like, oh, is his voice going to start like cracking yeah. and stuff? But yeah, it it, it didn't get did. too bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, sometimes I like to um, try and pinpoint the moment when I first met or first heard of my guests that I have on my podcast. And I remember uh, years ago when I was in New York, you guys were over there. I don't know if that was the first time we met, but it was the first time I saw you guys play live. And, I, and you played, um, I don't know if it was still Cub Scouts then or, or, or Cub Sports. Was that but 2013? It must have been. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I, think, I think that was Cub Sport. I think we had just yeah. changed to Cub Sport before that. Yeah. And you played in this really bizarro place in Manhattan that was like fluoro-lit sort of... Um, do you remember this? It was like a weird sort of glow in the glow in the darky kind of vibe. Was that the Delancey? I can't or? remember where it was, but I just remember like going there on my own and you guys were all a bit freaked out about like the kind of show you were playing. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, you played such a beautiful show, but it was a weird crowd. Yeah, that whole CMJ trip was a bit of a blur. It, yeah. Like so many like panicked little sets and like all close together yeah. I think we played yeah like a couple of sets a day for like a few days in a row and then in between you're just like yeah racing around yeah and our we arrived in New York and went to our accommodation where we were meant to be staying with our friend and there was no one home oh no and um Zoe messaged him and he was like oh sorry I'm like upstate on holiday oh like my he had gosh. forgotten and so then we um we got an Airbnb and and then it ended up being like a really dodgy thing. There's like oh. that um money transferring thing that's like really hard to track. I forget what it's called. Um but anyway, she was insisting that we pay via that. Oh no. And like we'd read and heard that like I think it's like Western Union or something. Oh yeah. Um but we'd heard to like be wary of that. And so then we had no accommodation and, um, yeah, we ended up like having to drop like every cent we had pretty much on a hotel last minute, um, which added to the panic of the trip, (laughs) like having nowhere to stay in New York, but no, it was, it was all good. (laughs) I think a lot of bands have had New York panic. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's hard to go there and not have some sort of panic. Yeah, I actually noticed when I was there, when I was staying in Brooklyn, it was a bit different, but when I was staying in Manhattan, 
as soon as I was in Manhattan, I felt like my shoulders started tensing up. <laughs> yeah. Like for the whole two weeks I was there, I felt tense. But with really no reason to feel tense. Yeah. It's just, I guess the it's vibe. just a high energy place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how you started Cub Sport or Cub Scout at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys all go to school together? Um, Sam, Zoe and I all went to the same school. Um, so Zoe was a grade below Sam and I, and we were all in the senior vocal group. And, um, what's the senior vocal group? That was like the, it was like a big choir that like anyone could like come along and join. And we sang like cool contemporary, um, songs, but like choral arrangements. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How many people? Oh, I think there would have been like over a hundred people in it. And then um, wow. Sam and I were in a smaller group, the Senior Vocal Ensemble as well. Um, and so we we all kind of knew each other loosely through that, but weren't really friends. And then I started writing songs in high school. And then when I finished school, I decided that I wanted to like record some demos or whatever. So I tracked down someone to do that with. And then... <clears throat> um, and then did some, I wanted to do some full band recordings. And so that's how I um, got Dan into it. Because we had a bunch of mutual friends. He was friends with like everyone at our school. So he came along and recorded some drums on some demos. And um, then I like, Sam and I drove around and dropped like this little demo CD around at like literally every venue yeah. in Brisbane, like every <laughs> cafe, everything. Um, to see if we could get a gig and then we got an offer and then I asked um, Zoe just because I knew that she could play instruments yeah I like didn't really have many friends and so just like getting in touch with people I didn't really know and (laughs) pulling them in and um yeah we the songs were like pretty drab and it was like (laughs) low energy like not very interesting but I don't know. We, I think we all like felt pretty good about it, yeah. and um, and so it just stuck. And we've, we yeah, that was like playing shows as Tim Nelson, and then we wanted it to be like more of a band kind of thing, so we yeah. changed it changed it to Tim Nelson and the Cub Scouts. Yeah. And um, I swear we were playing at Rick's and X and Y Bar like every weekend, <laughs> just um, yeah, just playing and playing. Um, and then. Zoe um, met John Castle at a Washington show. Yeah. And Zoe and John had, like, the same jacket on or something. And (laughs) she went up and she's like, look, we've got matching jackets. And he was like, cool. And then, like, Zoe just, like, working her charm as she does, (laughs) like, like, somehow convinced John to, like, produce an EP for us. And then... um, yeah, we we recorded like our first actual EP, the um, Told You So EP with John in like 2011. At the shed? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, he like, he said that because our first single was Evie, we weren't really sure what the first single would be, but that one like really stood out to John. Yeah. And uh, it was so basic when we took it to him and he had like a vision for it, like... I don't know, like lots of percussion and that sort of thing. And 
um, yeah, it, like scrubbed up so nicely. And then we put that out as our first official single. And we decided to change to like just Cub Scouts. Yeah, at that point. Yeah, it was yeah. like that was when we felt like we'd kind of done the like that initial groundwork and we were sort of getting an idea of like what we wanted to do and felt like we finally had like a song and a recording that was worth like giving a push yeah um and did you did you finance your own recording yeah so we've all um we've all worked full-time pretty much for like the entirety of the band's career um I've like I've dropped back to part-time um now like over the last couple of years thanks to like a publishing deal and yeah um yeah so we've it's really nice now like it, I think we've been doing it for six, oh, 7 years almost yeah wow um, you still seem all so young yeah well I you guess you started very early but yeah, yeah. And I and I feel like we were really young people, like like not just like age, but like emotionally. Yeah, <laughs> that like there's just so much um, growing and development to yeah. happen. And um, did you feel like you had someone to protect you back then, like to not get into dodgy deals, or um, did you have some people to talk to about it? Yeah, we did have like a we um at the very start we spoke to andrew stone and i remember him his advice to us was like ask everyone for yeah. advice and so we did that and um like anyone that we could talk to yeah. would be like like what what would you like advise for us to do and like it was a really nice way i guess to guide our path just um hearing what everyone had to say and then the four of us just like discussing stuff and seeing like how we felt about it and then yeah moving forward yeah. like that making decisions so I feel like we we weren't too at risk of stumbling into anything dodgy because we we've always been quite careful and yeah. think and yeah discuss everything and as like a group democratic. before yeah, yeah. Oh, that's um, good yeah, I always worry about young artists, you know, signing like a five album deal when you're 16. Yeah. You know, that stuff really freaks me out. But I guess it's like such a different industry now. It's almost hard not to get screwed yeah. in a way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you get, so you got signed to a label for your, for your EP? Um, no, the, we released both of our EPs independently. Right. And then, um, yeah, in 2013, we did um, CMJ and The Great Escape. And then on the back of that, we signed um, with some international agents and got our record deal for the um, first album. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so we we recorded that album, uh, I think, in the middle of 2014. Yeah. Um, and then... I guess that between the EPs and the album, like there was a lot of growing up and yeah. um, stylistic change musically. I, that was when I started recording my own demos. And um, for the first time, like I was starting to, I guess, put my ideas for like 
I'd never had it sort of just like all there in front of me where I can just listen to it and be like, I'd like to hear this over it and put it in just cause I, it, it had always been done in like a live setting, the yeah. arranging and that sort of thing. So, um, I guess having that, uh, freedom to like try things out and listen back and then, mm. um, yeah, that sort of changed the songwriting style and approach a bit. And, so yeah, I think the the album wasn't quite what our label were expecting, and so it ended up taking a couple of years to get it out. Cause, yeah, right. Um, Did you have to redo stuff, or um, we re-recorded all of the drums on it? There was a lot of the drums were mostly live, and then um, sort of layered up with samples, and there's like sound replacing yeah. happening and that sort of thing, and that that it was sounding a little bit 80s or something and that wasn't the vibe that um like a lot of the rest of the team were expecting right but it was kind of like our vision for it so then yeah there were there were some mixing things like we we did a test mix with like a really big mixer who's like won grammys and that sort of thing then got the mix back and it was like it was so distressing to listen to. It was like <laughs> so far from what we wanted and yeah. felt like it had like lost its soul or something. Um, yeah, that's happened to us before too. Yeah. It's and it, amazing what a mix can do, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's crazy. So then we um we went back and we wanted John to mix it because he's yeah. like, we've done everything with him and we love his work so much. Yeah. And there's just something about his mixes that uh, they just sound so like full and yeah sparkly yeah Yeah. totally and and I feel like that really um suits like what we do it like feels like an important part of it um so then like John John's a busy guy so then there were like months before we can like get back in with him for him to mix it and yeah I guess delays so after delays um so yeah, that was, it was like a kind of weird time, just like being stuck in limbo. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it gave me a lot to write about. And I, and I feel like with my writing, I was almost more inspired to like take it to like where, wherever I felt. Yeah. Almost like in rebellion to like <laughs> opinions of what I should be writing yeah. and that sort of thing. <laughs> And, um, so what were you writing about at this point? Um, well, I was writing about like the experiences of it. Our first single off the first album, Only Friend, was about, um, I guess like I I was just feeling like pretty negative about it all. And like, I, like there were so many times when I was like, should I just like leave it all? Like, um, and that was that was sort of about yeah that experience so it was it was funny to get to put that on the album um and yeah like the the first song in our next album um Chasen I I wrote that one like just after we had released Only Friend and it was like um we had we'd built like a bit of momentum like from the EPs and then it was like everything that we had done had just sort of like died off yeah. and we were like coming in cold and it was like 
I don't think people quite understood it because they had an idea of who we were as a band. We're like Cub Scouts, that like young, like fun indie pop, yeah. like jangly band or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like we weren't quite that anymore. And it well, was. Well, you still, I think you still had the pop, like the music was still super up and the lyrics are a bit more down, right? Yeah. yeah. Like it, it was sort of like a an in between place. Who are your musical heroes right now? Um, Frank Ocean is like my number one. Yeah. Because I've noticed as so you've sort of started to maybe go a little bit more R&B influence lately. Mm. Um, is that because it's the stuff that you're into at the yeah. moment? Yeah. It's, it's always been a style of music that I've loved and that I've been drawn to. Um, I, don't, I don't think I ever like saw myself like fitting into it with my music which is why it sort of started as more of like a pop rock kind of like I don't I don't really know how to put it into a genre but I think as I've um just sort of been like writing and recording at home and just letting just like doing whatever feels right and like what's coming to me and like I guess making the music that I would want to listen to um, yeah, like some R&B influences have definitely be coming into it a bit more. Yeah. And how do you record stuff? Do you use Logic or... Yeah, Logic. And do you program drums? Um, yeah, very very basically. I use a lot of um, like loops and like toppers and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and are you a gearhead? Um, I, yeah, I really like synths, but I'm not... I wouldn't call myself a gearhead. Um, Do you have people coming up to you and trying to talk to you about really technical shit after shows? Yeah, every <laughs> now and then. I just, like, Zoe, like, knows her shit. So it's just, like... And, like, Dan is, like, a, a genius with all that stuff. So... It's good to have one the, of them in the band. Yeah, it's, like, it's <laughs> so good. Um, but, yeah, those two can... Um, do the gear talk and I just like <laughs> sit back and nod <laughs> um yeah because I was listening to a lot of your music in the last few weeks and there's some pretty great synth sounds I always wonder if they're all like digital or like what what you guys used in the studio yeah there's um there's a bit of a mix I think this is our vice is like pretty much all digital yeah um and then some of it was like doubled up on live synths um but the next album <clears throat> is like pretty much all live. Great. Um, when we were in Portland last year, I got this Alessis synth and um, yeah, it like ended up being like just such an integral part of this next album. Like nearly every sound on it like came off this one synth. That's great. And um, yeah, I'm like... I'm obsessed with it. And I ha- I haven't really like seen, like I'm not much of a, a gearhead, so I don't really know, but I haven't seen that much about the Alessis. Like everyone's crazy about like Junos and stuff. Yeah. And, um, Dan has a Juno that I borrowed and used on one song. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just like that. It's, it seems like that it was like 99 bucks and um, <laughs> it just seems like this like humble, cute, keyboard that has I don't know I just really love it it doesn't matter how much it is or what it is I think it like if it inspires you then who cares Mm. I've come to the point in my life like I've always been like super snobby about analog versus digital 
and I've always been like really into analog synths. Um, but now as I'm getting older, I'm like, who cares? You know, there's a song in each instrument, at least one song in each instrument. And who cares if it's like a Casio you got for five bucks mm-hmm. or like a, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Or a Juno you paid 1200 for. Mm-hmm. So you, do you collaborate with your band members? Uh, no, all the writing is just me. Yeah. So. And then, and when you start a song, do you know where you're going with it? Or does it just kind of like come out in a, in a way that is surprising to you? Um, yeah, it sort of just comes out in... Yeah. A surprising way. Um, yeah, I, I normally, like, sometimes I'll get, like, a melody uh, and lyrics and that sort of thing, and I'll just, like, record a voice memo or put it yeah. into my notes, and then sometimes I'll just sort of play around on keyboard or whatever, and then, yeah. Go quick, record it before <clears throat> yeah. I forget it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, yeah, I guess they sort of inspire each other, and then I just follow sort of where it needs to go to feel right yeah do you ever like listen to a song and go this is what I want to do and then try and copy it a bit um I think I think I used to do that a lot um like the when I some of my earlier songwriting it would be like Real, like that's what I'd love to write a song that sounds like that and sort of use it as a starting point. Yeah. And I feel like now I've managed to steer away from that a bit. Um, but I think as far as like, I don't know, the, like the quality in songs and the, the things in music that make me feel something, I'm like getting better at sort of identifying those things and like sort of getting, yeah, getting better at, um, replicating like a feeling or something yeah. but not necessarily like do a musical thing directly yeah. yeah yeah um I used to my brothers you know produced my records I'd send him the song and go this you know this is like maybe a good mixing like a focus track to to think about while you're mixing and he'd be like that your song just sounds exactly like that song <laughs> that you just sent me it's like <laughs> the worst You've thing you just to copied hear. it <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm always curious if other artists do that. I'm sure everyone does, but almost mm. without noticing it, you know. Just yeah. Like, I'm just completely copying that thing that I liked. <laughs> One album that, um, like, really inspired the, like, especially the later part of writing um, our second album um, was Frank Ocean Blonde. Yeah. And, um, yeah, there's a song on our next album called Solo 3, and it's, like, a very like very blatant reference to Frank Ocean solo, but like this song is about Frank Ocean solo being Sam's and my song. Yeah. And so there's like, um, part of the melody is like very close to that, but it was like an intentional thing that yeah. like I want people like to. Like an homage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that's like, I guess very, close do people notice it do they talk to you about it um well people haven't really heard of all right yeah yeah we've had a couple of people like that we've shown it to pick up on it yeah and like ask here's that like is that what it's a reference yeah yeah (laughs) because you started playing music very young do you feel like it just became a natural thing to perform because I realize you're like a pretty like shy reserved person um do you find it weird that you're that you're playing music, that you're performing in front of people? Um, well, I, 
I've always found it all right performing in front of people, but yeah, I, I'm like kind of shy in a social setting, Yeah. but performing is like a bit more comfortable. Um, I guess I, I grew up like playing at a Stedford's and that sort of thing for piano. So that was always um, stressful. Yeah. Oh, well I, like I got used to it and, um, that was something that I felt fine with singing in front of people was like a different thing. I don't mm. know. I feel like singing is like, I don't know. Like if you like slip on a wrong note when you're playing piano, it's like whatever. Yeah. But like if you're singing and you like hit a bad note or something, yeah. it's like, Oh, like it's your voice. I <laughs> yeah. don't know. It's more personal or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think singing on stage is something that I've had to, and like really becoming a performer has been like a, a really long journey for me because I, like I only started like now in the live show, I just sing for most of it. Like I don't play piano or guitar or yeah. keyboard or guitar for most of it. Whereas before I like never would have dreamed of doing that because it was just so daunting. Yeah. Um, the idea of being that like open and exposed. Like yeah. I always liked that I had like a keyboard or something that I can be like doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, last year when we got to support the 1975, um, the shows were like enormous. It was like to 8,000 people. And I was just thinking about it. Um, and about how in that scale of like that size room, if I'm just there like behind a keyboard or behind a guitar, like it's just not going to be very engaging. Yeah. And um, I was like, it's time to like, to just like come out from behind the keyboard. Cause I wasn't playing integral parts or anything in, the, in a bunch of songs. It was more just like a safety yeah. thing. And, um, and I'd like just come out like a month before those shows yeah. and they were like the first shows since that and I was like this is like the right time to like push myself it's like if I can like come out and like tell my religious mum that I'm gay and stuff <laughs> like this is this will be easy and um yeah so I did that and, and it was it yeah like it's it, challenging it was um like it was <sighs> exciting it felt like a like a bit of a breakthrough kind of thing. It was That's like great. a nice moment. And then since then, like I've like, yeah, I've found it easy to, to build from there. And in our new set, I'm like, I think I'm playing guitar in like one song and the rest yeah. I'm like just singing. That's so, awesome. Yeah. How's your nice. stage banter? Um, I don't like talking on stage <laughs> very much. So I keep it to a minimum just short and sweet I always find that I I try later in life I've tried to like be funny on stage because it it relaxes me and the crowd you know Mm. like there's I think the crowd can always feel the tension if you're holding it inside yeah so I just try and like I just act like a dick and then everyone will feel better yeah (laughs) um but yeah, I'd, and I always like it when people talk on stage, but it's such a hard thing to master to do well. Yeah, I've found that, um, like, especially now that it feels like people are understanding us more as a band and um, the people coming to the shows, like, we have so much contact with them on social media and that sort of thing that I, I'm definitely, like, feeling more comfortable 
with just like who I am and knowing that like the people there like me or whatever yeah, and so you've got a relationship already yeah, yeah. and so it's um like it feels it feels like much more um relaxed and natural and that sort of thing yeah um and so yeah I, I don't feel like I have to like think through what I'm gonna say as much as I used to yeah um but yeah we we like the set to be like kind of we like to play like straight into songs that yeah. sort of thing and do a string of songs before having a little break. Yeah. yeah. And then you don't have to like plan your banter. Yeah. You just do what comes out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it feels right. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned having lots of communication with your fans and I know you have like a very active uh, Facebook page and stuff. Um, so I know that like when you came out, was it last year? This year? Mm, last, last year. year. There's a lot of like great support for it, but also like negative comments that got written about a lot in you know, in Australian media. Um, do you feel like that still happens? Um, no, I feel like the the online response to, like, pretty much everything has been, like, overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. Um, I did a status, I think it was earlier this year, that was, like, calling out the use of slurs. I, I was just, like, it's 2017, like, it's not cool to be saying that things are, like, gay or retarded. Yeah, yeah, and, I saw that. And I didn't, like, I just, I thought that that was such a, like, clear thing. Um, and it's also something that's easier to say, like, from a platform rather than, like, in conversation with someone yeah. when they're, like, oh, that's so gay. And I, like, freeze up, but, like, never know how to deal with that situation. And, like... I don't want to be like, that's not cool. Like you should, shouldn't be saying that like in the middle of a conversation. Um, and so I just thought this is like, this is going to be a good way to at least like, to like my circle, they'll know like how I feel about it or whatever. And then, yeah, like got really out of control and it like got shared into like hate groups and like Trump support groups and stuff. And, um, I found out that, yeah, people were, like, sending it to these hate groups that has thousands of people who are ready to, like, go attack. And they're, like, go target this post. And so people were just flooding it and, um... Jesus. And, like, attacking, like, people who were commenting us... uh, Commenting, like, supportive things to us. And so that was, like, the... That's the only time that we've had, like, a bunch of negative stuff coming in. Um... And how did you deal with it apart from writing that post? How did you deal with it personally? Um, well, I think the the amount of like love and support and people who were like expressing their concern for us and being like, are you all right? Yeah. Um, that was like enough to, uh, yeah, like it wasn't too distressing. For, for us, it was like, well, look, these people who like who believe that they have the right to say these cruel things are writing this like crazy like cruel stuff um and like putting themselves on display for everyone and so for someone who like casually like lets like gay or like retard Mm. or something slip into their vocabulary I feel like it was a good time for people to be like well I'm not like these crazy Trump supporters that think that it's okay so like I don't know I think I think it was a a good thing for like making people like um realize a bit more aware of yeah. themselves yeah so like it like it's obviously not nice like being called like a retarded faggot hundreds of times um Awful. 
but for like what I think the post achieved and for like all of the love that came in, like it was easy to brush that off. Yeah. So crazy that that still happens and that, you know, someone who's trying to do something nice gets burned. Mm. It's fucked. It's just crazy to me that like it's people who have obviously never felt oppressed. And then when someone is like, well, you're not allowed to say this word. It's like the first time that they haven't like been allowed to like do something. Yeah, sure. And so then they like feel oppressed that they're not allowed to use that sure. word. And, that, and then, then that's out. their, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. Does I, it, so does it make you want to do any more sort of um, like spokesman type stuff or like gay activism in, in the community? Yeah. Well, it's, it's like a, I feel like it's become such an important part of like Cub Sport, the project. Like we, we obviously like make music and that and we're a band, but I feel like um, in the wake of that and like the ongoing messages that we've had from, like we get messages all the time from people just like thanking us for being open about it. And yeah, um, yeah it, it's become like almost as important as the music for yeah. me. And it's it's really exciting to be able to, I guess, just um, let young gay people who might not feel good about like who they are um, because they've experienced homophobia or, um, yeah, I, it's just nice um, for people like that to, like, yeah have a safe space yeah and to and they've to messaged relate. us saying that they've like learned to like start to love and accept themselves for who they are oh that's and so nice yeah because it was like i i think if i could have accepted like who i really was earlier i would have avoided like years of just like confusion and yeah yeah so that's something really important for us so yeah we are definitely keen to do more in that that's that great. Area. Yeah. Um, let's talk about being in a band with your partner because I have also done that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I guess sometimes I found it to be a complicated, a complicated thing to do, but also very rewarding. How do you find it? Um, it's like it's amazing for us. Yeah. It's like I guess we, we've known each other since we were 12 and so, so cute. And then we we were like sort of friends in high school, loosely, just like through singing in the same choirs and stuff, and doing musicals together. Um, but I think because it like started as a friendship, and it was like such a, it was just like such a long, um, like journey to like actually like being in a relationship. Yeah. That. Um, I don't know. I feel like all the, we didn't like start the band like as with us as a couple and then like Dan and Zoe, I don't know. It was like four best friends, like just like going, like going along. And then, and Sam and I like were like best friends for years and did everything together. Like we, we worked together as well. Like lived together. We studied together at the Gold Coast when we were at uni. Like it's, being together 24 seven has just been like our norm for years. Yeah. And so it's like a really easy thing for us. And, and I don't feel like the dynamic has really changed that much in the band. Cause it's, 
I don't know, it's always been like Sam and I as like the absolute best friends. Oh, that's um, so nice. And like Dan, Dan and Zoe and like us are all, I don't know, we're all like just such good friends. So it didn't get along cause so a well, rift. Yeah, it was like. <laughs> it was just normal. Yeah, it's almost like easier now. I don't know. It's, <laughs> I don't, we haven't really had any situations come up where it's been like harder because we're a couple. That's great. Mm. Um, I guess it's maybe a different situation if there's the four of you two. It's not like one person's on the outside of that situation. Yeah. Like everyone's always got a buddy. Yeah. At what point did you realize you're in love? Um, it was in, I went on a writing trip in 2015 and yeah, it was like the first time that I'd been away from him for like an extended period of time. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think it was just on that. I was like, I missed him so much. Aww. And then, yeah, we had, I like caught up with a couple of friends while I was away and um, one of them was my friend Millie. And she said that, like, she was like, so, like, what is the deal with you and Sam? Like, are you guys, like, together? Are you going to be together? And I hadn't, like, I hadn't had to really answer that question. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know, like, <laughs> like, I, I couldn't imagine, like, meeting someone that I'd want to, like, spend time with more. Um, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then... And then I went to Berlin, um, like after the writing trip, just for like a week of holiday or whatever. By yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was meeting up with uh, my friends there, Daisy and Tori, and they um, they were having their friend Cyril Hahn and his girlfriend Jackie over. And I'm like a big Cyril Hahn fan. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell? Like, he's going to be at your place? And then... <laughs> I like went over and we were all hanging out and then Jackie's like, so like what, like what's your story? Are you in love? And I was like, God, this keeps like coming up. It's like, <laughs> no, like I'm just like happily single. Like I've got like awesome friendships. I'm like so fulfilled. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then that night I like got home and I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, I am in love. Oh. And then <laughs> a year later we um, had like our big overseas tour that was like two months long um, we did like the UK and Europe and then like a month just driving across America. And then it was like at the end of that tour, um, like the, yeah, the last night we were in Vancouver and, um, I think we were having like a spa bath and like drinking <laughs> and stuff. And then, yeah. Um, and then Sam was like, I don't want this to like ruin everything, yeah. but like I'm in love with you. Ah, oh, yeah, so cute. And then the rest was history. So we got back from the trip, and then um, both came out to our families. Like we didn't tell each other that we were. We just like did it on the wow. on the sly, and then yeah. And how did your family react? Um, so you said your mum was really religious. Yeah. So I was, I was like a little bit. Like, I was obviously concerned about how it was going to go or I probably would have, like, allowed myself to come to the realisation much sooner. Yeah. But it just felt, like, so much to deal with. And and I, and I knew that 
in the past they had had like views that like homosexuality was wrong yeah and that was like how I was raised and that was my schooling like it was drummed into me from every angle um and so yeah I I was pretty nervous about how it would go but they were fine like I think I think it was um like which is to be expected like it was an adjustment at first but literally like the next day um dad was talking to Sam and I and he was like well I'm obviously gonna treat you like I would like Pip or Tam who are my um brother and sisters like husband and wife and like so like straight away and then I think I came out to them on like a Saturday and then like the next Tuesday Sam was at family dinner and it was like yeah so it was amazing but so he'd or already sort of been part of the family if you were hanging out all the time was he already yeah, sort of part of it he um because we worked together yeah. at dad's practice oh, you're right. so, and like orthodontistry yeah <laughs> and so um yeah they like they knew sam well yeah. and yeah i like i don't know it was all like it was a weird journey to like get to where we are yeah. um, but i feel like it was like it all happened for a reason. Yeah, and it sounds it like all, it did. Yeah, it all like worked out the way it was meant to. That's so lovely to hear. Hmm. And now you have this beautiful house and these beautiful dogs. It's heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I want to ask you my final question, which is tell me your strangest or worst show experience or just the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician. I think the strangest strangest show experience was our first ever time playing in Adelaide and we were playing on Hindley Street. What and, year? Uh, this would have been 2012. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's like Hindley Street is like quite an experience at <laughs> night. It like gets pretty rowdy. And um, yeah, during our set, there was like a gunshot. And then um, when Whoa. we finished our set, we like looked out the window like because the stage that we were on had like just sort of windows behind it so yeah. when we finished like we looked out and the front of the venue was all like roped off oh my it, god um, and there were police cars and stuff and no one could come into the venue from like <laughs> like around the start of our set there was the um the gunshot and Jeez. so it was like yeah we were playing like yeah. <laughs> like oh my god! Right, right and there. Did they? Do you know what happened? Did anyone get hurt? Um, I think it was it was something to do with like some sort of gang thing. We Jeez. were told. Um, no one died though. It was like few. Uh, yeah. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> that no one died. And yeah, we we had to load out of like a fire exit because <laughs> the front of the venue was a crime scene. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. That's crazy. It was. And did you, so does that mean like pe- people are stopped from coming in to watch you play as well? Yeah. <laughs> the room was like pretty empty, oh, no. but it was good to be able to like blame that on yeah. the gunshot. It was like, a gunshot, man. It would have been packed out otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's so crazy. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for talking to me, Tim. It's been so lovely to have a chat. Thanks for having me. 